So good to be with you, honestly. Um, I, I very, very rarely take bookings over the other side of the bridge. Um, so, uh, but I felt this is the right thing to do today to say yes to this one, to come and be with you guys, to serve you guys. So, um, yeah, if my accent's a, uh, a problem for you, I'll, I'll do my best not to sound too thick and thuggish. Um, remember when I was a kid, my dad said to me, boy, your accent's going to cause you problems in later life. You sound thick and you sound aggressive. Um, <laughs> and so... And it's hard to argue. That's the, that's the thing. Um, it's like, well, you brought me up in the valleys. What do you want? Like, um, there we are. So that's where I'm from originally, by the way, is the Welsh valleys. Um, so my accent is somewhat mongrel. Um, and certainly I don't want to um, try and be uh, an inspiration to you today by any sense of the word. I want to let the Lord be the inspiration to you. But I kind of if I if I say I'm I'm known for two things in my preaching is one is that like is passion I'm very passionate about what I preach I think if I can't mean what I'm saying I should shut up but also honesty and so I just can be honest with you right off the bat right now in this present moment I'm going through a really difficult time personally and um, there's a lot of like challenges that, you know, I don't want to sort of splurge all that on you guys but I feel incredibly weak coming to you this morning I'm not like you know I'm, I feel incredibly um sort of uh, wobbly not in my faith my faith is strong and the challenges I'm, I, I'm going through are not like you know sin struggles per se just personal struggles um you know in, in some of the wider things that I'm involved in and so yeah I'm not standing here this morning with any swagger I'm standing here propped up by the Holy Spirit um so I'm hoping that if anything good comes out of my mouth today then he's got to be the one that gets the glory for it all right so you know just uh, but I wouldn't mind if I wouldn't mind if I just prayed for God's help um so if that's not an alien concept for any of you guys who are visiting maybe and you don't know what that is I'm going to talk to God and ask him to help me say something that's worth you hearing especially what I'm going to do so let me just pray Lord I just confess my weakness before you and I confess Lord that um there's nothing in my heart nothing in my self which 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 commends me to you Lord but I believe that you want me to be here today um, to share your grace which is sufficient for me which I believe is sufficient for these guys as well I pray Lord you'd help these next few hours together to be really worthwhile to be really profitable thank you Lord that you knew exactly what you were getting when you sent your when you sent your son to die on a cross you didn't come for the for the sorted and the strong and the stable you came for the for, for rebels and wretches and the weak and the broken. And I just pray, Lord, that as I take my mask off this morning and put it on the side and say to these brothers, I'm weak, I'm broken, I pray we would all together be able to take our masks off and to allow you to do ministry in our hearts. Have your way, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, um, Neil asked me to come and do a couple of talks off this old book, which I wrote this This is the first proper book I wrote, really. Yonks ago, this was. About 12 years ago, I think I wrote it. Um, Di Hanky is a DJ and a rapper. He's not anymore. <laughs> that's what it says on the back of the book. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, that's, that's funny. And also, like, look how young I look there. It's amazing what kids will do to you. Uh, there we are. Um, so this, this, this book is called The Hardcore. Um, there's a lot of things I would change about this book. I would change the title um, and make it more obvious what it's about. I would change some of the kind of tone. I sound like, I don't know, some adolescent hyped up on sugar uh, in, in a lot of the pages that I, that I wrote for them years ago. Do you know what's mad, though? I was flicking through it yesterday uh, preparing the talk talks I know it's, don't worry, I know it's two and um 
in case you think I'm going to do this and get on the bus. No, I'm not. Look, there's a bit at the back. I'm not, I don't encourage you to do this, but this, this was a challenge for me. And it was a list of resources I would recommend other men to read to help them in their faith. I'm looking through it. Well, this guy's, he cheated on his wife. He's now with another woman. Probably wouldn't read that book. Wouldn't recommend that book. This guy was a, found to be a bully in his church and was removed from ministry. Wouldn't recommend that guy and his work. Here's a guy who is no, no longer even following Christ, would say he doesn't even like, believe in God anymore. Definitely wouldn't recommend anything from that guy. And it just probably, it probably hit me. That's in like the last 10 years. I wonder if in 10 years' time, are you still going to be following Jesus if you're a Christian? Because like, we can't take those things for granted. Like, there are men and women, there are Christians dropping like flies all around us. We are under so much pressure. There is so much struggle. And um, you just can't assume that everybody is as they appear on the surface. I don't want to project the last three years of my life onto you and pretend that I've got some prophetic word. But I just know that I know enough people and especially enough men to know that the last three years have been absolutely brutal for a lot of people in almost every conceivable way financially brutal physically brutal mentally and emotionally brutal and not just because of covid what i think i don't think I, we, we can't blame covid for everything but i think there were fault lines in a lot of people's lives and in a lot of societies that were exposed by covid and a lot of people are rocking and a lot of people are shaken a lot of people maybe didn't capitulate or do anything crazy during COVID, but now as the dust is settling, there are people that are doing crazy things, making some wild decisions. And I just want, from the, what I'm going to share with you guys today, I, I, more than anything, I want you to be really secure in Christ. That's all I want. I don't know what your challenges are, what you're facing. I don't know whether you're struggling in your marriage or you're struggling in your singleness. I don't know whether you've got money problems right now or whether you feel that you're just like just in the wrong place doing the wrong thing, but you don't know what to do. I don't know if there's confusion. I don't know if like me, middle age might be mugging you hard. And, you, and there's like, you know, there's some, some crazy stuff going on, which like, you know, you're not used to happening in your mind or in your body. Um, I, you know, I don't know if there's fear for the future. There's just deep, deep concern for family members, struggles in your church. I don't know. All I know is that all those things I just stated, you won't find your ultimate security in any of those things. But if, you've, if you're rooted in Christ, if you're strong in him, you're going to get through it. And you're not, not going to become another statistic. So I want, to sh I, I want to just basically give you a shot in the arm of Jesus today. I'm also aware that some of you might not be Christians at all. And... Please know that if I sound like I'm only addressing Christians in the room, it's because I'm assuming that a lot of these guys are Christians just because I'm in a church. Probably a dangerous assumption, but I'm assuming that some of you guys at least, you know, you're, you're new to the words of the song, so I'm assuming you know something about Jesus. Um, but if you're not a Christian, then I hope to help you see why, you know, 2,000 years after this man Jesus walked the earth, there's a reason why people will say, I'll, still, I'll give him everything, why he's worth that. And maybe you'd be inspired to do the same thing yourself. Sorry, that word inspired again. You'd be encouraged to, uh, to, to, to do that. So what's this random book, The Hardcore, all about? It's about a bunch of guys I met in the Old Testament when I was reading it. 
I've got a really kind of old-fashioned way of reading the Bible, by the way. I just read one chapter a day, every day, on loop until Jesus comes back. That's my Bible reading plan. So, um, you know, I, I plod through the scriptures because um, I'm not very good at reading loads of material. I just get distracted very easily. Um, uh, so I just read a chapter a day. And at some point in the dim and distant past, I stumbled upon these men known as the, the 30 and the 3. There's a guy in the Bible, King David. You might have heard of him. Um, he was a, a shepherd boy who became a, a giant slayer, who became a king. And, um, these, and he, he was a king who just demanded so much respect from his men. And there was such loyalty among his soldiers. But there was a, an elite platoon called the 30 and the 3 um, of mighty men who did incredible exploits. And as I stumbled across these guys, they just captured my heart. And I thought, man, this is amazing for, for men um, you know, to sort of like maybe get to know. So that's why I wrote this little book. And Neil's asked me to do two sessions um, on two of the different kind of chapters, two of the different groups. So that, that's what I'm going to do. So if you've got a Bible and you want to meet them yourself, um, we're in the book of 2 Samuel, um, chapter 23. It's on page 331 in my Bible. Um, got no idea what page number it's on in your Bible. But in mine, it's on page 331. And you kind of get this list of, um, this, this, this list of amazing guys who did amazing exploits right towards the end of David's life. So we're almost at the end of David's life. He's seen and done a whole load of things. So 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. And this first session is going to be one verse. We can all handle that, can't we? At least I hope we can. Um, so one verse. And um, it's about this. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's just an amazing dude. So... One, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Hashibeth, a Tachamanite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. That's it. So that's, that's what we know about this, this one guy. Like, so you had the 30, they were like, you know, they, they were like the kind of, the cream of, of, of the crop. And then of the 30, there was a separate three who were like, you know, proper ninja. And then this guy was the chief of the three. So he was like, you know, the kind of the head honcho of like all of David's mighty men. He was the most, you know, he, he was the most um, uh, respected. He was the one who commanded um, the, the, the whole like platoon, if you will. And this is the only thing that we know about him was that on one occasion, he took out 800 enemies with just his spear. And, you know, the Bible doesn't explain to us how he did that. It doesn't explain whether it was a royal rumble. They all jumped him. There's a big sort of dust cloud. And he was the last man standing when the dust had, had died down. Whoever he just said, take a cue, boys, take a ticket, one at a time. He took them all out. All we know is that he was completely outnumbered. 800 to 1. And yet somehow he came through it victoriously. And I think one of the reasons that I love this guy so much is that I see a man who did not allow overwhelming odds to cause him to tuck tail and run, to cause him to lay down his spear and say, you know, it's okay, I surrender. No, the overwhelming odds just became an overwhelming victory, an incredible victory. And as we think about what it means to be a man of God in our present culture, I think 800 to 1, that sounds pretty reasonable. We're like how outnumbered, outgunned, and overwhelmed we are in a culture that hates Jesus, hates church, has got no time for people of faith whatsoever. We can feel out, um, 
overwhelmed. We can feel outgunned, outflanked, outnumbered. And so I had this really interesting sort of um, exercise yesterday. I sat down on my sofa, thought, right, I'm going to think through what are some of the things that we feel overwhelmed by. As I'm standing in that room, I was projecting myself into this room. As I stand in that room with them, with them guys in Bristol, what are the sort of things that are going to cause you to feel overwhelmed? Maybe right now you feel overwhelmed because you are the only Christian in your workplace. All around you, there are stories of drunkenness, sexual conquest, people fiddling the books, people that are like just like, you know, um, gossip slanderers, people that are, you know, two-faced, people that have got absolutely, you know, that just take the name of Jesus as a swear word and just, you know, and have absolutely no time for your faith whatsoever. Maybe you feel outnumbered um, or overwhelmed by some of the personal struggles and addictions that you've got. Maybe you just cannot stop clicking those websites, watching that pornography, you wish you could, but you can't. You feel weak and in, unable to not click, to not pursue. Maybe you are overwhelmed by lust. Maybe some of you have even got some physical addictions going on to things like alcohol or self-medicating on, you know, on, on, on drugs. I don't know. But maybe, you, you know, maybe these things are starting to take control of your life. Maybe you feel overwhelmed by your own thoughts, literally bombarded, battered by thoughts and there's so many of them, you, you just have to run to take cover. But like you feel that no matter where you turn, these negative thoughts are just coming against you. Maybe you feel overwhelmed by your own guilt of, of your own sin. Maybe you've done things in the past and like a shadow that you can't shake, the memory of things that you have done and that you know you're guilty of just won't ever leave you alone. And you just feel overwhelmed by guilt and shame. So I, sat, I was sitting on the sofa thinking through some of those things, like maybe they're the sorts of things that could be really overwhelming. But then, I, you know, I've, I've got um, two sons and two daughters. I asked my, um, my eldest son, who's 14 years old, I said, Joe, I'm doing this thing tomorrow. I'm going to speak to some guys and um, we're, we're going to talk about um, the different things that come against us, the different sort of battles that, that men face. And I said, I wonder if as a teenager... What are the sort of some, what, what are some of the things that are probably coming against your generation right now? You know, your, your friends in school, or you even, even you personally. And let me tell you what he said, because it was really quite humbling. He said, Dad, it's mad you ask that. I said, why is that, uh, Joe? He said, because just the other night, I just couldn't sleep. I, I feel so, so stressed out by things. I just wrote a list out of all the different things that me and my friends and people like me are completely uh, just like under the cosh by just completely smashed by I said well tell me some of the things that you said so I'm sharing this to, to share two things number one I'm a 46 year old bloke that sees the world one way there's a generation coming up behind us like these guys on the sofa and others like them some of, the, some of you guys have got kids or grandkids they're facing different you know similar struggles but also completely different ones as well let me just list some of the things that um he said he said he said, it's just really hard because I, you know, there's this whole thing about what does it mean to be like a man? And he said, we're just told everywhere, just shut up and keep your problems to yourself. Everyone's struggling right now to just, you know, keep, suppress your problems, keep them down. Don't like, don't sort of like let people see that you're struggling. It's a 14 year old kid thinking that. He said that the Andrew Tate phenomenon. And like, it is funny, but also at the same time, it's tragic that there is such a void in that culture. They want someone to tell them what it means to be a man. And the fact that there are so many millions of people 
who take that man's teaching seriously would suggest that there is a dearth of good material, good teaching, good role models, teaching young men how to be men. And he finds that really hard and really stressful. He said that there's a real confusion about feminism. Was it mean, like he says, in school, this is, this is from his, his mouth now, not mine. He said, in, in my school, everyone from the front is telling you, you all need to be feminists and you all need to like, you know, be pro LGBT. But among my friends, all the boys are like stuff feminism and they're all ragingly homophobic, which blew my mind. But there's confusion and he doesn't know what to think and his friends don't know what to think. And he said, just knowing who are my friends or having a lack of friends, feeling really isolated and really alone. He said, you know, how, how are me and my generation meant to like grow up and be like, you know, have good relationships with women if we can't even sort our own friendships out? Like he said, you know, it's, and so there's all these things. That, so that's what he said that his, him and his friends are struggling with, which is a very different list to what I would have brought to you guys. Money and porn and like those sorts of things, which to me are the obvious ones. But actually, there is so many people who are under the cosh, who are feeling under great pressure, not knowing where to turn, not knowing what it means to live a life that's pleasing to God. And I, I'm sure if I did a little, like, let's say, well, what things are you struggling with? If you have things that aren't on either my list or my son's list, maybe you've got other things that you're struggling with. Maybe it's, you know, it's physical health issues. I, I don't know. There's a, there's a world of things that can come against us. And the reason I love this guy, Joshua Bashibeth Atakamanite, I said, like, I said that like a pro, didn't I? <laughs> Did you catch that? Man alive. I'm so surprised myself how well I said that then. <laughs> By the way, I, I only noticed yesterday that he's got bass in his name. And seeing as I used to be a DJ, that's quite cool. But anyway, um, yeah, Joshua Bashir Beth Attackmanite. Um, what I love about this guy is that against overwhelming odds, he stood and he prevailed and he won. And I want every one of you in this room to prevail and to win against whatever it is that comes against you. Whether it's sin, suffering, brokenness, I don't want that to have the last word over your life. I want you to prevail and to win. And so with this guy in mind, um, JB, I call him, it's just, just it's easier than saying the other, the, the, the other version. <laughs> and as I said in the book, it's, it, it's kind of mad because there's so many people like superheroes with like the initials JB, isn't it? There's Jason Bourne, James Bond, Jack Bauer, and Joshua Bashir, I didn't do it right that time. Ah, edit that on the tape, innit? Um, Joshua Bashir, Beth Atakamanite. So another JB. This is, a, this is a, another, a, another JB. And as we think about what it means to be men of God and to make a stand in a world that doesn't want us to stand, that wants us to fail, wants us to crumble, you know, and also bearing in mind that we have an enemy who wants more than anyone for us to fail and to crumble. I just want to look at three different um, options for somebody who is facing unassailable odds to live for God in this world. They're the same options that would have faced this man. Number one, he could have chosen cowardice. He could have said, I don't want to fight. I just want to pretend there's nothing happening. Like an ostrich, I want to bury my head in the sand. I don't, I, I'll, I'll run away from adversity. I'll just deny that there is any of this stuff going on. I will, I will tuck, you know, tuck tail and run, get, get away from stress, get away from, uh, from, from, from my problems rather than facing it and dealing with whatever it is i'm just going to like choose the path of cowardice and i love the fact that this you know the session just now was started um reading about you know re reading paul's words to timothy because the verse that comes to my mind 
when I think about the temptation to be a cowardly man is in 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, which was just read to us. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's what God wants for us, brothers. He doesn't want us to be cowards. Do you know, your wives don't need you to be a coward. Your kids don't need you to be a coward. Your church doesn't need you to be a coward. Your community and your world, your colleagues do not need you to be a coward. They need you to stand. As hard as that is, as painful as that is, as costly as that may be, we need to stand. We need to not choose the path of least resistance. We need to not choose the path of fear. We need to stand. So don't choose the path of cowardice. The second option that I feel that we can choose as well, though, is the path of compromise. Against overwhelming odds, if you can't beat them, join them. Why not do what everyone else is doing? Everyone else in the workplace is saying how great you know, it is to be unfaithful to your wife. My sex life isn't particularly impressive. Maybe I should just go and try sleeping with another woman, like, like they say. Maybe I should like start going down those digital pathways that lead me to, to nowhere good because everyone else is doing it. You know, you can't beat them, join them. My friend was, you know, really struggling. He started, you know, drowning his sorrows with a glass of wine, two glasses of wine, bottle of wine every night. It seemed to calm him down. Maybe I need to start doing the same thing myself. Listen, I'm struggling for money financially, like, you know, and I just know if I kind of cook the books a little bit, if I just, you know, told a few half-truths on my tax return form. No one else is going to know, but like, you know, God knows I need the money. I fear that a lot of us take this path in different ways. It's that path of compromise, not shining as we should shine, justifying sinful courses of action. And I just don't think that's what we're called to do as God's people, we're, we're called to shine as stars in the universe, to, to put away the things of this world, to flee the passions of our youth, to be filled with the Spirit, and to live markedly different lives. Joshua Bashibeth didn't run away, neither did he join the enemy ranks. He fought. And it's tough, man, because like, you know, there are certain brands of masculinity that have made talking about tough men or heroic Christianity or using language around fighting the good fight. They've made it really hard to do that without sounding like you're some kind of like closet misogynist or a thug. But brothers, it's a fight. And I'm going to say something which is absolutely outrageous now, which literally five years ago wasn't outrageous, but it is outrageous now. And that is that God has made men different to women. Some of you might not be as hard as your wife. I'm not judging you. My missus could probably batter me if she wanted to. If she gets the kids to tie me up first, I don't know. But... God made you strong. Let me put it another way. The testosterone that courses through your system is not there by accident, and it, and it makes you different. 
Uh, deep, deep down, we know that we were made for struggle and for fight. We were made to use our strength for good. Your sex drive is not an accident. It can, be, it can be used in really destructive ways, but it's also a gift. Your muscle, your size, your deep voice, your ability to graft is not there by accident. God gave you that. And I just want to encourage you guys, embrace your role as a soldier of Christ and see the Christian life as a worthy fight. Something it's worth cracking your knuckles and getting stuck into. Fight to do the right thing. Fight to live a righteous life. Fight against sin. Don't let it beat you. Don't let it own you. Don't let it have the last word over you. And one of the things I love about these passages about David's mighty men is that these weren't guys who were written about at the beginning of David's life. These were written, uh, uh, these guys were written about at the end of David's life. And the reason I say that is this. I believe that what inspired Joshua Bashebeth to fight the way that he did was his passionate love for his king. He loved David. We'll see that even more in this after in the in, in the later session that I'm going to do. But he loved his king, and if you fight for for King David, you fight for David's king. You fight for God. You fight for him. And that is what um, I want to get to right now. Like he was inspired by King David. Now King David was an incredible warrior. He was an incredible um, example in a lot of ways about what it means to be a man of God. As a Welshman, he wrote a lot of songs. Respect that. <laughs> Love it. Some of them were for the harp, even better. Because that's, you know, don't get much Welsher, does it? And to the choir master on the harp, a song. And all the Welsh, like, amen. Do you know what I mean? It's like you just described the promised land. You know what I mean? So respect that. But have you noticed? The King David never wrote a psalm about slaughtering Goliath. Like, that'd be the first one I'd write. <laughs> Let me sing a song about my greatest moment. When as a kid, in front of an entirely, like, frozen with, paralyzed with fear army, in front of the king himself, I arrived with a bag of cheese and left with a giant's head. Like, I write a song about that one. No. So many of David's psalms are psalms of God, please help me. I'm in a dark place right now. I'm in a desperate place right now. Everything and everyone is against me, but you're the rock upon which I stand. You're my refuge. You're my strong tower. You're my deliverer. You're my strength. I mean, check out Psalm 18 if you want a really good example of David basically saying to the Lord, I need you so much. Even down to Psalm 51, which is my favorite psalm, because I've used it more than any of the other psalms. That's the one he wrote, not when he'd taken out Goliath, when he'd taken another man's wife, impregnated her, and then got her husband killed to cover his tracks, and then got confronted by a prophet and realized God sees, 
and he had to repent of some really, really dark, sinister stuff. I love that psalm. That's who Joshua Bashebeth was fighting for. A man who knew the grace of God. A man who knew the forgiveness of God. A man who knew the mercy of God. And if you fight for King David, you fight for David's king. And in many ways, I haven't got much more to say on this particular passage, apart from to say, brothers, I, I'm not here saying look at, look at Joshua Bashebeth as a great example. I'm not even saying to you, look at his king, who's a great example. What I'm saying to you is look to the king's king or look to the king of kings. See, when you've got him fixed in your sights, when you set your, your gaze on Jesus, it's very, very hard to choose the path of cowardice or to choose the path of compromise because you want to fight for him. It's not just yourself that you're thinking about now. It's not just yourself that you're living for now. Man, if you're struggling with things and maybe you find it hard to look in the eyes of your wife or the, or the eyes of your kids or the eyes of other brothers and sisters in church because of things you're struggling with, like it's not even those that I wanted to be thinking, uh, thinking about when it comes to your struggle against sin. I want you to be thinking about Jesus. Not only as an inspiration, oh, I've got to live a better life because he's God, because he's holy, but also because he's the one that's got the forgiveness that you need to move you into um, a place of, 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 of freedom and, and, and a place of deliverance from the things that you're struggling with. It's not just be inspired by that great king of kings who in his grace loves you. No, be inspired by the only one who can give you the strength that you need, can give you the grace that you need. I can help you to live the kind of life that you really deep down want to live, but you know you can't. And everything is against you to try and turn your eyes away from Christ. Maybe you're tempted to just try and dig deep and try and be strong yourself. I'll fix it myself. I'll stop watching that stuff myself. I'll, I'll, I'll try and watch my, the way I speak to my wife myself. I'll, I'll, I'll try and sort, I'll handle my financial problems myself. I'll try and struggle through these physical problems that I've got. I'll, I'll handle it myself. I'll be a man. And yes, God has given you testosterone. He has given you strength. But don't be stupid with it. You still need Him. You still need His strength. I love Paul's example in, um, in uh, his letter to the Corinthians, where he explains that he's got this thorn in the flesh that torments him. And I love the fact that we're never told what that thorn was. We don't know what was keeping him up at night. We don't know what was like constantly niggling away, badgering him, hurting him, stressing him, grieving him. All we know is that he pleaded with God and he pleaded with God and he pleaded with God, take this away. And what he didn't get back from God was, man up. What he didn't get from God was, I've given you all that you need. Crack on. Sort yourself out. He got the gracious promise that my grace is sufficient for you. Brothers, whatever you're struggling with right now, and I know some of you are struggling. And that's not a prophetic word. It's a bloke talking to other blokes. Whatever it is you're struggling with right now, don't treat it as an opportunity for you to prove your worth, for you to prove your strength, for you to show God how righteous you are. Use it as an opportunity to allow God to showcase his grace in your life for his glory.
That might mean confessing some sin. To him, of course. Maybe to a friend, your wife, your pastor. Asking for some help. Maybe it means being willing to say these words that men don't like saying. Lord, I can't. I've often said that the one scripture that every man should have um, written on the mirror uh, in his bathroom every morning when he's brushing his teeth is John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> it's proper humbling that one, isn't it? <laughs> what, nothing? Yeah, it's literally like you're proper dependent. And to be a Christian is to be dependent. To be a Christian isn't to take up your place in the ranks of those who were, who were righteous enough, good enough, strong enough, and noble enough for God to want on his team. But to be a Christian is to be those who humbled themselves and came as sinners to a Savior who loves to forgive sinners, who came as broken to the one who can make them whole, to come as filthy to the one who can clean them, to come as weak to the one who can raise them up strong. Don't lose sight of that. I think some of you guys have probably been following Jesus for quite a while. I'm not judging you, but some of you look old enough to have done that. <laughs> we forget, don't we? Who it was that saved us. How it was he saved us. I remember when I used to live in the valleys, I took my, I don't know if you guys have ever done this. We, again, we get told off for this as well now by all the anti-climate people. But um, not anti-climate anti-climate, whatever, the, the climate people. Um, if our kids couldn't sleep, we'd take them for a drive. I could, like, that, could, that could take hours. That was when you could afford fuel and there wasn't people watching everything your exhaust pipe was doing. So I just, you know, we just drive around the valleys with our kids in the back of the car, hoping that, you know, if the scenery wouldn't put them to sleep, the fumes would. Uh, that's a joke, that's a joke. Um, anyway, I took, took, one, I took my, my eldest daughter out for a little drive <clears throat> and um, we were... Uh, you know, she was still awake by the time he got back. So I thought I'd sit, rather than coming back in the house and crying, I thought I'd just stay in the car with my daughter, try and just get her to sleep in the car. So, um, but she had, she had some, you know, some words by then. So we were sat in the car outside my house. And she pointed at the wing mirror and she said, Daddy, what's that? I said, that's a wing mirror, love. What's it for? And so you can see behind you when you're driving. But if you're driving forwards, why do you want to see behind you? It's a really good question, love. Uh, I guess it helps you to get some perspective. <laughs> yeah, I, probably, I actually use that word to my, to my little child. Because <laughs> like, we all know, right? If you're driving down the M4 or the M5, whatever ones you got around you, if you just look at the, at the wing mirror, you're not going to drive very far, are you? You can't obsess about the past. But if you only look forward without any sense of perspective about what's past. That's not safe either. And I think that the danger that we have as Christian men is to forget what happened to us. I love that in Psalm 51, as David is trying to make sense of the mess of his life, this shipwreck moment as he's slept with Bathsheba and had Uriah murdered, one of the, the one of the prayers, uh, so one of the parts of that prayer that really kind of it challenges the heck out of me, if I can put it that way, is it convicts me so much. Is he prays these words, restore to me 
the joy of your salvation. You wonder if he's like self-diagnosing. Did I do this because I forgot you? Did I do this because I taken your grace for granted? All the times you came through for me, like from my anointing in the field, when Jesse came and put oil on my head and said, this one's going to be the king. Through the Goliath series, through like running from Saul and being kept alive, literally by the skin of his teeth. Through, through, through the many battles, many struggles, all of which he knew God with him. He knew God's presence with him. At some point, he'd forgotten the goodness of his God. And brothers, at some point, have you forgotten the goodness of your God? Are you still buzzing that he loves you? Do you still love the fact that he sent his son for you? Does the cross still blow your mind that God loves you so much that he would allow his only son to do that, to to strip your sin away from you, to take your filthy robes away from you, to make you clean on the inside, to robe you in righteousness and say you're no longer an enemy of God. You are now the family of God. Does that still thrill you? Or have you started to forget? Listen, glance in the wing mirror again. Not just at what Christ did on the cross, but what Christ did on the cross for you. When that made sense to you, when you remembered, uh, sorry, when you surrendered for the first time and you said, you did that for me? You love me? You want me? You know all of it and you want to forgive me for all of that? Guys, if you get that right, you will prevail against 800, I promise you. If you live in the joy of his salvation, if you do whatever it takes to throw log after log after log on the fire of your faith, if you say, I'm at the foot of the cross and I'm camping there for the rest of my life, so that every morning when I unzip the tent in the morning, the first thing I see is your mercies that are new again today through that cross by that Savior. The danger is when we don't. My friends, be like JB, be like Joseph Bashibeth, the Takamanite. Did it better that time. Fight. But don't fight to impress God. Don't fight to prove anything to him or to prove anything to anyone else. Fight because you can. Fight because he fought for you. We only love because he first loved us. We only have faith by, by his gracious intervention in our lives. And if you don't know Jesus, if what I just said is madness to you, can I say to you with all the love in my heart, nobody has ever loved you as much as Jesus loves you. And his cross is the evidence of that. <clears throat> May we not lose sight of that cross. May God help us to fight for him and to fight and win. And if there's anything I've said in this first session that has caused you, you know, maybe to think you need to talk to someone or pray to someone, please do that. There's a verse that I use in almost every single sermon that I preach in my church back home, which is um, this, James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you can own your sin, own your struggle, own your brokenness, then you can own his grace. If you try and deal with it yourself, you're going to fall. You don't need to. There's help for us. It's found in him and in him alone. Can I say a prayer? And then apparently we've got some chocolate. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for 
this passage for this incredible um, champion that we read about in Second uh, Samuel. We thank you for, for JB. And Lord, I just pray for each one here. I pray that every life represented would prevail, would be found standing at the end. Lord, I, I just pray that you give us all the humility that we need to confess sin and to know your grace. You have made us strong. You've made us men, and that's not an accident. You've given us gifts and skills to put to work for you. Lord, I ask that you would redeem all that you've put in us so that it might make us fruitful and powerful weapons in your hand. Lord, if anybody here is in, in trouble in their marriage, in trouble in their, in their church life, in trouble in their faith, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the help that they need. I pray, Lord, you would give them the grace to, to turn to you and to turn to whoever else they need to for, the, for, 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 for care, for comfort, for support. <clears throat> it's mad like being amongst, among a bunch of brothers I don't know, but knowing that the same enemy that hates me and stalks me and tries to take me down is after these guys as well. Knowing that the same cold world that doesn't like the gospel that I preach in Wales doesn't like the gospel that I'm preaching here in England either. But knowing, Lord, that this is where we find life. You are the one in whose, whose strength we stand, but without whose strength we, we flounder and fail and fall. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Give grace. Amen. Amen.